How's it going, everyone? Dave Brown here with the New Populist. Thank you for joining me. Over the past several months, I've made videos about the fact that the world order is changing, and it's changing faster every day. Now, most of the world recognizes this, especially in the global south, but it would seem that the United States is a little slow to grasp what is going on. The general public, we're distracted. Right now we're watching March Madness, uh, college basketball. We have so many things to take our minds away from what's going on in the world. And our political class, they're just arrogant and they live in a bubble. And they still think it's 1990 where the United States can dictate everything to the rest of the world. And the rest of the world just has to come along with us. But now we're finally starting to see some people in Washington realizing that there's this change going on. We have this article from the Washington Post by the editorial board titled, The U.S. Should Be Aware of the Beijing-Moscow Axis. Now, they are a little late to the party. This war in Russia has gone on now for a year. And the Chinese have never indicated that they wanted to help the West stop Russia. And in fact, um, back in August, the United States was antagonizing China uh, when Nancy Pelosi, the then Speaker of the House, visited Taiwan. So here we are, a year later, just realizing that, oh, wait a second, Russia and China might have a reason to be friends, and we, the United States, we should do something about it if we can. This is the, uh, this shows you how our political class think. This shows you how slow they are and how just behind they are. Where are they living at? This is the Washington Post editorial board, the number two paper in the country, just now being concerned that Russia and China could team up, um, and challenge the United States. But I guess, you know, they say, uh, Better late than never. But I, I want to read this article because it's, it's not long. And I want you to pay attention to the tone. I want you to pay attention to how they sort of perceive China and Russia. Just again to show you that they are living 30 years ago. And their idea of dealing with China, just like Russia, is not cooperation and sitting down and trying to work um, to find some sort of common ground. It is full of these veiled threats. And if they think these threats are going to work against China, they've learned nothing from watching this Russia-Ukraine conflict where we've done everything we can to uh, stop Russia and it hasn't worked. And now we're going to threaten China. Good luck with that. So keep that in mind as I read this article. In the geopolitics of the 1970s, the United States seismic decision to normalize relations with communist China and lift a ban on sales of sensitive military technology to Beijing was known as playing the China card to thwart the Soviet Union. With uh, President Xi Jinping's high-profile three-day visit to Moscow this month, China has shown it is willing to play what might be called the Russia card to counter what Mr. Xi considers to be U.S. attempts to surround China and contain its economic and military rise. 
Now, back in the 1970s, we had Richard Nixon, the U.S. president at the time, who was credited with the strategy of playing China against Russia. And now they're saying here that China is playing the Russia card against us because they think that the United States is trying to contain the rise of China economically and militarily. Now, they, they kind of say or suggest here that this is the way that China feels when, in fact, this is the demonstrable truth. We openly say that we're trying to do that. So if China feels that way, it's because it's, it's actually happening. It's not their imagination. So the U.S., yes, we are trying to stop China, um, their rise uh, economically and militarily. This growing alliance between America's two greatest strategic and military challengers has the potential to shift the global order as profoundly as the United States did a half century ago. America and its democratic allies had better be ready to respond. China and Russia share a common apprehension of encirclement by the United States and NATO. Russia sees NATO's eastward expansions as an existential threat that was the main stated justification for its invasion of Ukraine. China, meanwhile, fears the United States is trying to create an Indo-Pacific NATO with a string of Asian defense agreements from the Philippines to Australia. What was the reason we created NATO? NATO was specifically created to challenge Russia. So if Russia um, sees NATO as a threat, it is because NATO is a threat. And we've been expanding NATO toward Russia for the last 30 years after saying in a verbal agreement that we wouldn't. So again, I always find it funny when we we, we act like we're shocked or surprised that China and Russia feel threatened by the United States when we do these things. And again, we have the, in the United States, the Monroe Doctrine. If China or Russia tried to operate in North America, we would be on high alert immediately and we would prevent that from happening. But apparently it's okay for the United States to intervene and operate in Ukraine, in Georgia, in Taiwan, and China and Russia should just be okay with it. Again, this is one of our double standards that drive me crazy. The article continues. Moreover, China and Russia both have a disdain for democratic values and a rules-based world order, which they see as outdated and dominated by the United States. Now, let me stop here. A disdain for democratic values. My position is this. It is not the business of the United States to interfere or tell other countries how to operate internally. That is your business. Uh, Chinese society, Russian society, how you guys decide to structure yourself and run your country is your business and your business alone. Especially considering that we in the United States, we pride ourselves in our democracy. Well, let me tell you, Democracy died in the United States a little while ago. What we have now is the pretense of democracy. We live in a oligarchy. We live in a system that is run by special interests and corporations. And judging by our elections in 2020, a lot of people don't even believe that our elections are fair. So maybe we shouldn't be too um, hasteful 
and giving lectures about democracy. How about we mind our own business and worry about ourselves? And as far as a rules-based world order, again, I've talked about that in the past. The rules-based world order is essentially the United States creating rules and dictating them to the rest of the world, uh, irrespective of whether or not they agree with them. And is that outdated? Well, clearly it is because Russia is not playing the game and China is not playing the game. So, yes, the rules-based world order seems to be outdated and we need a new system, one, where all countries agree upon the rules, not just a handful of countries setting the rules for everybody else and then and then breaking the rules when they want, which is what the United States does. Let me continue. There's a confidence in the superiority of their autocratic governing systems. When the two leaders met, Mr. Putin congratulated Mr. Xi on his re-election to an unprecedented third term as president. Mr. Xi said he expected Mr. Putin to prevail in his own re-election in 2024. Then there is the fact that Russia and China also hold the world's largest and third largest nuclear weapon stockpiles. China is expanding its nuclear arsenal to try to reach parity with the United States within the next decade. Russia is clearly now the junior partner in this no-limits friendship between Moscow and Beijing. Shorn of Western markets and its uh, economy hampered by sanctions, Russia needs China to increase its purchase of oil, gas, and grain, and to supply some of the Western goods that have disappeared from the shelves. China has also continued to supply Russia with aerial drones and drone parts, as well as semiconductors. But there has been no report so far of Beijing providing lethal weapons, something the Biden administration has warned would be crossing a red line. And what exactly would the Biden administration do if China gave weapons to Russia? Well, we had our Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen threaten sanctions. And in response, China basically said to piss off, like, we don't care. Go, go, go away. Um, which kind of shows that our threats, again, aren't as strong as they were 20 or 30 years ago. People are saying, oh, you're, you're going to threaten us? Okay, whatever. We don't care. And that's what China said. And in this situation, I don't blame them because we have given tons of weapons to Ukraine for eight, nine years. That's considered okay, not aggression. But but China can't give weapons to Russia because, well, that, that's wrong. Again, we're making the rules and telling other people to play by them. And people are done with that hypocrisy and double standard. Uh, it continues. Despite its openly pro-Russia stance, China has suggested it might be a potential peacemaker in Ukraine. There was some thin hope this might actually be the case after China helped broker a diplomatic rapprochement between Iran and Saudi Arabia after a seven-year break. And Mr. Xi went to Moscow touting a supposed 12-point peace plan for ending the conflict. But surprisingly, it turned out to be no more than a series of bromides about the need for dialogue and restraint. Meanwhile, Mr. Xi has shown no interest in going to Kiev to meet with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, as have President Biden and other world leaders. 
Indeed, Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida made a surprise visit to Kiev the same day Mr. Xi was being feted in the Kremlin. Now, I, I hate this idea that every world leader has to go to Ukraine to essentially participate in what's nothing more than optics for uh, the media, for the public going, hey, look at us. We're all united against Russia. It's a stupid game. It's, 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 it's transparent and it's obnoxious, especially Zelensky, who is, again, Ukraine, corrupt country. He's a corrupt person. And uh, I hate the fact that we treat him like this new Winston Churchill. He is not. And at some point, he's either going to flee Ukraine to the United States to live in this mansion in Florida, or um, Russia will allow him to keep what's left of Ukraine, and he can pretend that he stood up to the Russians uh, while running around his little green shirts while everybody else died at the front. Uh, these world leaders who act like they're taking the risk when they're not, it's annoying. As the uh, former prime minister of uh, Israel said, he got the call from Zelensky saying, hey, is Putin going to kill me? And Bennett said, no, he's not going to kill you. Relax. And then what happened? Zelensky left his bunker, got in front of the cameras, and started pretending like he was the toughest guy walking God's green earth. I will stand up to the, to the Russians and Putin. I'm not scared. When he was actually hiding in his bunker and didn't leave until he got assurances that Putin wouldn't send one of his Kinzhal missiles into his bunker and kill him. And uh, once he got that assurance, that promise, he left and started playing the tough guy. Yeah, not buying it. Continuing, President Biden has framed the war in Ukraine as a battle between democracy and autocracy, between liberty and repression, between a rules-based order and one governed by brute force. While his line of argument is true, it is of limited persuasiveness with Mr. Xi, who is trying to peddle the idea of Western-style democracy as a spent force. Is Xi actually doing that? He's never really talked about Western-style democracy. He's concerned with China and concerned with economic cooperation. So I, I don't see that coming from Xi Jinping. And as far as the war in Ukraine being about democracy versus autocracy, liberty and repression... It's nonsense. Ukraine is one of the most corrupt countries in the world. They have um, created all sorts of rules to oppress people. They are not a democracy. And again, we have our think tanks in the United States who have said repeatedly that Ukraine was nothing more than a way to uh, attack the Russians. It's a proxy to be used up. And when we're done with Ukraine, we'll move on. Just like we did in Iraq and Afghanistan. What was it called? Uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom. Are you still falling for that? That all of these wars are about freedom. If you believe that still, after all the examples in the past where that wasn't the case, then you're a sucker and you're an idiot and I can't help you. I mean, come on. The evidence is right there. Just pay attention and be honest. And that's what it really is. People, you know, you know, being honest. The Washington Post is not here to be honest. They're here to spread propaganda. Continuing, an appeal to self-interest, however, might help convince Mr. Xi to use his growing friendship with Mr. Putin to push for a real solution to the conflict. China's economic and trade relations with Europe are far more crucial than with Russia, 
And Mr. G should be reminded of this whenever he meets visiting European officials, starting with Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez, who will assume the European Union Council's rotating presidency this year, and French President Emmanuel Macron scheduled to visit China next month. The Europeans need to send a clear and unequivocal message that China needs to use its leverage with Mr. Putin to end the conflict, not to bolsters, bolster Russia's economy. Now, two things here. I made a video a couple weeks ago about how the United States historically, when dealing with other countries, offers the stick, not the carrot. Either you do what we say or we will have economic sanctions. We will have the CIA doing their regime change operations. We will harm you. And now we have here the Washington Post editorial board telling the European leaders to threaten, and it's a veiled threat, the use of economic sanctions with China if, if China continues to side with Russia. Again, we're offering the stick. Not saying to China, hey, you help us out here. Here's how we can make things better for both of us. We say, if you don't change your path, well, you guys import a lot of goods here. That could change. Always offering the stick, never the carrot. And the last line here is saying that the uh, Europeans should send a clear and unequivocal message that China needs to use its leverage with Mr. Putin to end the conflict, not booster or bolster the Russian economy. At this point, at this point, why would China reverse course and try to leverage Putin, especially with the actions in the South China Seas with Taiwan and the United States? Why would they do that? What world is the Washington Post editorial board living in? Well, it's a fantasy world. And that's our problem here in the United States. We have too many people in our political class in Washington, D.C., living in a fantasy world. The United States needs to recognize this and wake up and start to be real about what we're facing. Well, that's it for now. Again, if you are new to my channel, please like and subscribe, and I'll see you next time.